The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com. I'm delighted to be back with you for yet another week. And today we're going to talk about the value of happiness. And before I do that, I'd like to just mention Amir Qureshi, who was my guest last week. And Amir talked to me about how to do and do not do business in the Middle East and Asia. It was great to get some feedback from people who enjoyed that show, found it valuable. It was also great to try um, speaking to somebody in Pakistan with our producer in Phoenix, with me in the UK, and just think about how technology has really moved forward. So this week, um, I don't know about you, but I've been really busy and in line with this show theme, I had a really happy week. I hosted an evening at the Professional Speaking Association with friends of this show, people who've been on the show before, former world champion boxer Billy Schwer and conference expert Paul Cook. They were both great. A strong recommendation for me, you know, if you can, is to engineer your life so that you spend as much time as possible around really inspirational people that you can learn from. Uh, it was very much part of my strategy. I've also had the privilege of visiting Dublin and Ireland to uh, actually, um, for a client, on behalf of a client, I visited the Jameson, Jameson's Distillery, that's a whiskey distillery, and the Guinness factory on behalf of a client. I love my work at the moment, I really do. And then yesterday I had lots of questions thrown at me by Positive um, Ground, uh, who are an extended team who are working with me on new branding and websites for 2014. You know, thanks very much, guys. For me, happiness is involved doing work I love with people that I love to do it with. It's taken me many years to get there, but now I kind of reap that benefit of having had that strategy. Today's also a special day. Not only is Steve Head my guest, uh, and he's going to talk with us about uh, the value of happiness very soon, but I might even hear during this show the news that I've become an uncle to twins. My thoughts are very much with Rach and Pete Cooper, so do give me a uh, do appreciate if my phone buzzes in the background. It's, it's on because I'm uh, really looking forward to hearing that news. So let's talk about the value of happiness. How can we really achieve it more consistently and improve the performance of our business along the way? When there are so many people out there who seem to be disengaged with their work, bringing more happiness into the workplace, it's, it's a tremendous growth opportunity. Two years ago, I witnessed a conference speaker demonstrate to me what is possible when it comes to professional speaking. I not only took a tremendous amount of value from the session was also bowled over by his, his stage performance. Steve Head's words about personal and workplace happiness stuck with me. I had to get him on the show. 
However, he was so busy that it took me two years. <laughs> Not only speaks to many thousands of people every year, he also puts his work into practice through coaching young sports stars, including the England Wheelchair Rugby League World Champions and he's now one of the most sought-after speakers in the UK. He's worked on many projects with Olympic gold medalist runner Chris Akabusi, who you might have heard of over the last 12 years. He's from the northeast of England. A big welcome to Steve Head. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, great to speak to you, Steve. Um, how, how, are you, how are you doing up in the northeast? Whereabouts do you live? Well, actually, uh, well, I'm from the northeast, from uh, Newcastle, or Gates at Newcastle. Uh, um, uh, I live in Newbury now in the south, so... But I spend probably once every eight weeks or so I get up there where, I, where I'm originally from. But um, pretty much uh, where I am right now in the south, it's always a few degrees warmer, which is nice. And um, <clears throat> I spend most of my time traveling all over the UK. So it doesn't really matter where I live because I'm everywhere. So it's been a busy week, a bit like you have had a lot to do. And uh, being in front of various different audiences, primarily this week, national health service work, which is which is a privilege to do. Uh, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a great week. And um Try to cheer people up along the way. Fantastic. Well, I hope now you live in the south of England, you still say Bath rather than Bath. I do. I do. I stay. That's, that's right. And love rather than love. But my children are both uh, born and bred in Berkshire, uh, you know, uh, the Queen's County. So um, my daughter will say, Daddy, I'm having a bath. And it is beautiful. They, they both speak beautifully well, so they put me to shame. Excellent. Well, it's good to know you still speak northern proper. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I do. Don't worry about that. It's what gets me work. It's that accent that gets me work. <laughs> so, t Steve, tell us a bit about yourself and, and why happiness is, is so important to you. Well, very, very briefly. I mean, my, you know, I won't give you the whole history, but I, I am from the north of England. I think that's part of the way we're brought up as well. Very working class uh, background. And I think you survive through life with a bit of humour. And it was always in our family. And uh, I... Uh, in terms of my, I did sports coaching for 20 years of my life as an, in parallel with working in the pharmaceutical industry, um, which was sales and marketing and managing teams. And it became very obvious that whether you're coaching a sports team or whether you're uh, managing a sales team, um, attitude is huge. And the happiness thing is just taking it to another level. It's positive psychology. It's, it's looking at things in an optimistic way and more recently, in the last 12 years, since this speaking business, we and you have just been talking about kicked off, it becomes very obvious that when you walk into a business where they are, uh, there's a positivity, a happiness, maybe a bit of a soft word, but they feel valued, appreciated, then performance is almost certainly better, you know, and sickness levels are lower and engagement is higher. And so I spent uh, the last few years really thinking about that, thinking about what makes people perform and clearly there are very many technical areas of performance in a business, but the attitude and the happiness thing just kicked in. So my background and where I've ended up are inextricably linked. And I, am, I, am, I choose to be pretty optimistic. I, you know, I think it's, um, it is a decision, and I think that's something I, I make a real effort to do, and it certainly hasn't done me any harm. So i am just turned 50 last year, and I've managed to do it for 50 years, so I'll try and do it for the next 50. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> 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 it's, it's interesting you said there about the you know, the word happiness because if you look at people and, and if you work with people from one to one you know one of the things that most people seem to want in their life is happiness mm -hmm. uh, yet when you talk about it from a work perspective you, you use the word soft it can seem soft but actually it's it's not as hard really isn't it because it it gets results 
It does. And I think that's the that's the interesting thing. I mean, you got to bear in mind that, you know, talk about what, what does happiness mean to me? Why is it important? If you think about it, you know, everyone that listens to this show, wherever you are, whatever country you're in, somewhere will have been touched by, you know, the global recession. Almost certainly. I mean, there may be parts, maybe maybe certain parts of the Middle East may have not been as affected. Depends where you go. But I would say most countries certainly been affected. When you go to any business, public, private sector, the, the levels of disengagement are talked about a lot. And, how, and, and with that, a lot of unhappiness, a lot of stress and a lot of sickness. And there's a lot of data on that and a lot of publications on that. And it doesn't take a genius to work out that if you can walk into a team of one or five or 10 or 20 people and give them a, a slightly different way of looking at something and a reason to be more optimistic and some mechanisms to find a little bit of happiness, almost always, and I couldn't say this you know, happens every time, productivity goes up, performance goes up, sickness goes down, money will be saved and a business will do better. And so much as we might think it's a soft topic, it's a dangerous one to, to avoid or ignore. So I, that's why I think it is a hot, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's a, I think it's tangible. I think you can make it tangible, but clearly just walking into a room in the business we're in when we're speaking to, to, to clients, you can't just say, you know, think happy thoughts. There has to be a bit more to it than that. And that, that's really what I'm fascinated by. Yes, yes. It seems to be sometimes in the, the busyness of life that people just forget to be happy because maybe like, you know, like you mentioned earlier, there's a choice. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's interesting to see because I do my sessions and I'm quite a manic presenter, quite fast paced, a lot, lot of humour. Um, and it is uh, often, you'll come, people will come to me at break and they'll say, um, you seem to be so, you know, have you always been like this? And I've always been a fast paced person. I am the person I am. But in life, as I mean, joking aside, I got to 50 last November and the year before my mother passed away, she was 81. My dad passed away about nine years ago. My brother died when I was 24. And so it's not like through life things have happened. You know, I've had an easy journey or I haven't experienced reasons to be miserable. You know, I think we all get that. The older you get, the more of those you have. But that's why I said I think it's a choice. You've then got to get up and decide today, what can I do in spite of everything going on around me to make sure that I'm in the best shape possible to get through this day? And you can go one way or the other. And some days it's not easy. But when you're a positive, upbeat person, I think some people assume, oh, well, you must just be like this all the time. And it's a decision. It's absolutely a decision to get out and try and make the day good. And I've got a couple of thoughts on that, which I'll mention later in the show. But I just think it is, um, it's, it's, it isn't easy, but it's something that when we do it, somehow the day is just that bit easier to get through. And the effect you have on people can be quite significant. Hi, just um, broken up there a little bit. I don't know if you can hear this next question, but I wonder how do you think people get their approach to life and happiness wrong? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure people get it wrong. I think what happens is that um, it is. It, it, I do. I do a number of things with big audiences, and so I guess over time you get a kind of a data point you can work with like enough information i think there is a human tendency and i mean any country whether i go to dubai or Singapore or united states european countries and britain oh we seem to have just uh, just lost steve there i don't know where he's gone i think somewhere in the ether we may have to try and reconnect with him again uh, right now so we'll, we'll go to commercial break and then we'll try and reconnect with steve and we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes 
Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, bemoreachievemore.com. I'm with uh, Steve Head. Apologize for anybody listening live who um, we just lost Steve's broadband connection. So Steve's rejoining us on the phone, and we'll not have any more commercial breaks. We'll just keep on going till the end now. And uh, Steve, are you okay? I'm good, yes, yes, I'm, I'm good. The wonders technology, yeah, I'm fine. Um, I was in the middle of just explaining uh, about you know, how people get happiness wrong, but um, I don't think they get it wrong. I just think there's a focus on negativity, and I think that stops people realising that uh, the, what's uh, the power of optimism, I guess. Sure, absolutely. And, um, yeah, it's also, you know, how you manage um, situations when things go wrong, like technology going down. <laughs> yeah, but you see, this is the time to be really happy because we're still here. <laughs> we are. Not the end of the world. It's just yep. the way the world is, isn't it? you just got to get used to it, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, we're on a on a phone line now with you, so maybe a little bit more, a little bit more muffled, but sounding good. So, tell us about the England wheelchair rugby league team. What what do you coach them in, and what have you learned from the experience? Well, England wheelchair rugby league um, came about because a friend of mine, who I work with in business, uh, became the manager of that team, and he rang me and said, "This is two years ago. Would you help us um, from?" win a game that was uh, following a losing streak. It was actually England and France. And England and France in rugby league wheelchair are pretty much the best two teams in the world. Um, and so my job was to break a losing streak. And I think this sums up it really well, actually, in lots of things in life, whether you're in sales or running a business and going through a bad spell. When you have the deal that doesn't come through, the deal that doesn't come through, and you start to doubt and worry and wonder if you're ever going to win again. And that's kind of a little bit about what happened with the league squad. So I went to meet the 14 athletes who are part of the squad, spent 90 minutes with them. And my job was to help them look for that 1% shift that could help them turn the losing streak around. And so I shared a few strategies with them, primarily around uh, the way they would think and how they would handle uh, pressure on the day. And as a result of that, they went and played France on the 8th of October 2011, and they managed to pull off a win of 34-32 for the first time on English soil. And that obviously then gave them momentum to go forward. So it was just giving them the opportunity to stop, realize that they had started to probably worry more about losing again, 
uh, create more self-doubt, um, all the stuff that all sports teams will go through when they go through bad times. And so my job was to stop that, give them a different way of thinking, sharing some simple ideas that are actually not that very, not complex, um, but just need to be, uh, you need to become a little bit more consciously aware of, and then they went off and won. So, they, so as a result, we've now kept a relationship, and um, we're preparing for the World Cup 2017, which will be in Australia. Fantastic. So you're still involved in the team, are you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, obviously, I do it as a voluntary support thing, so it's not like every day of my life, but, you know, I'll be with them, I'll, you know, hope, you know, several times during the year, helping them prepare for various events. And obviously, as we get closer to the World Cup and the final squad is formed, um, then, you know, obviously, there's a need to make sure that team are really together and, and uh, know how to support each other under pressure. And that's principally what, I guess, my role is. I'm not the technical guy at all. I've no idea how to play rugby in a wheelchair, but I do have a good idea how to handle the pressure, whether you're in a wheelchair or not. And that's really what my job is. That's great, and also great to hear that uh, they they beat the French because we love beating the French. Uh, in, I did in, tell that story uh, in France, and it didn't go down. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so this guy, this guy came up to me and he said, "I do not like your story very much," and I <laughs> said, "Well, I'm sorry, but it's true." So, uh, but to be fair, the French had beaten us three times before, so I think you know uh, that's. You know, it's, it's a fair balance. But yeah, I mean, you know, it isn't really very technical. Um, it's just getting people to think different and realise that if you think, you know, we've lost, we've lost, we've lost, and you think about that and you focus on that enough, you start to create a lot more self-doubt when thinking, you know, that we might win. And that might sound really obvious, but actually, that's what a lot of positive psychology is about, is looking for the opportunities to do better, not reasons why you did worse. Mm. Uh, so... I mean, how important do you think happiness is to organisations, you know, and how can they go about improving their morale? Um, I think uh, it is it is critical. Um, I'm talking about just the opportunity to look at things in a different way. Uh, I think there is. Uh, I I give you a very simple, straightforward uh, sort of answer that I would if I was on stage in front of a group of people, and what I would recommend to do. We already know that by being overly self-critical, focusing on what's not working, trying to fix broken things all the time, which most companies are actually quite good at, you know, finding something that hasn't worked and making it better, analyzing weaknesses, and so on. My recommendation is uh, interrogate success. I, I think there is an, uh, there is an absolute need, uh, and I think it should be mandatory, Right, you work in a lot of businesses, Chris. You know what this is like. There are, I, I would challenge you and anyone listening and just look for this in the next few weeks for companies that have systems, I mean mandatory systems, to analyze failure. And they will have them. Every company has a system if something goes wrong, if there is an incident, there is a risk management process kicks in, if there is a grievance for an employee, there is an HR system that kicks in, and they're legal, and they're mandatory, and then an optional. I challenge any company to look at their mandatory systems when something goes right. You have to interrogate why it went right and how you can repeat it. And the answer is, well, we do sometimes do that optionally, but it's not a necessity. And my challenge is it should be. It should be mandatory to interrogate success. I think that's a really good, a really good point because we seem to sometimes, yeah, yeah we, we evaluate what went wrong 
to hope to improve what went right. But you're absolutely right. Why not look at what went well too and uh, and do that? But sometimes when I find when people do do that, it's it's done very quickly. Yeah, well, I think it's it's, it's almost. I mean, to be fair, people come to me and say, "Oh, we do that. We we do that in our company, or we do that in our team." But but it's more if we have time. Yeah, not all the you know what I mean. It's more yeah, we'll probably if you get a chance, we'll have a look at what went well last week, and we'll you know ask how we did that because it's not just saying you know it's not not about opening a meeting and saying oh, we had three great successes. A lot of companies do that, and yeah, we celebrate a bit. I'm talking about really asking the person or people who did it, how, how did you do that? How did you create that success? How did you turn that deal around? How did you win that customer? How did you, and, I, and I don't think we do that as thoroughly as we have to do when something goes wrong. Yeah. And, and yet, and this is really, I think, well, I don't think just think because I love it, but um, if you ask somebody when something's gone right, they will gladly tell you everything about it. If you ask somebody when something's gone wrong, you often don't get the full truth. Because mm. why would I tell you where I've messed up in detail? Yeah. You know, so I'm going to tell you the truth when it's good, but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll not give you the full story when it ain't so good. So not only is there a value in it, but you get some really useful, honest insights when you, when you share good practice and understand how it was done. You also, you also mentioned to me, well, I mentioned earlier in the introduction to this that you know you're an optimistic person. Uh, what do you think is the role of optimism in business? Um, well, you know, well, I think it's significant. I think it's key, and I spend my life talking about it. But I'm very aware, by the way, that when I go into a room of managers or leaders or nurses, doctors, whoever it might be, that there is a real life. You know, there is a serious side to life. There was problems in life. There are you know, people going through troubles and redundancies and challenges and so on. And so cynically, I can see people looking at me going, hang on a minute, you know, so we're all being optimistic, but actually, sometimes there's not much to be optimistic about. Um, I'm not saying we should ignore bad things. I mean, that that would be daft. I don't don't think that. I, I think, but I think we've got to be careful. I will never go in a room as a speaker, as a coach, and say, let's spend a couple of hours identifying problems and talking about them and why things won't work. Because you do that anyway without me coming in. What I'm going to do is say, okay, you've done all that analysis of what the risks and what might go wrong, what can work and why will it work? And actually, there has to be a little bit of optimism. And if you take it even into healthcare, there is a load of evidence around uh, prognosis in cancer, for example, and cardiovascular disease with patients who are optimistic about their outcome versus pessimistic. You know, cancer can kill, and we know that. I've, I've lost family members to cancer, but we've all got great experiences also and inspiration experiences somebody who's gone through life that I still believe I'm going to have the best life possible in whatever time I've got, and their prognosis is your last year in the last five years. And it's, it's, it's having a support system, it's having encouragement, it's having hope, and it's having optimism. So I think the value of optimism, I have a standard funny line in some of my events, I'll say, did you know that optimists live on average 13 years longer than pessimists? So the good news is, if you are a pessimist, you don't have to be miserable for long. And that gets a laugh. And there's, a, there's an element of truth. I'm not saying my data is accurate on that, but there is an element of truth in that. So I think there is a power to optimism, but I'm also aware that cynically people would go, yeah, we've got to be aware of risk. Clearly you do. But there is absolutely benefit 
in, in, in expecting the best. Do you think that, I mean, some people, it's natural wiring, and I kind of, I do some work where I kind of analyze, and you probably do as well, have some tools to analyze somebody, whether they're naturally in their flow, what their personality type is. But there are, there are profiles of people that are very important to businesses who see the negatives and the risk in, in things, because the challenge is if all those optimistic people are, are, are handling, for example, all the innovation, then nothing goes unchecked. Uh, what do you yeah. view about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a balance, though, isn't it? It's, it's not, it's not like I'm saying, you know, go into things with blind optimism. Because the, the weird thing about this, actually, which I didn't say this about me at the beginning, but anybody who knows me, my wife particularly, is I and, and my financial advisor who advises me on money. Um, I did this risk assessment thing where it's, they tell you how what your attitude to risk is for money, right? I don't know if you've ever done one of these. But you basically fill a form, and at the end of it, it pumps out results and says you have a, you know, you, you, you take very high risks. In other words, you put all your money in the stock market, and you're fine. Or if everything, if you have money under the mattress, you know, so you know where it is, and you work out a range, and then that financial advisor tells you where you put your money. I thought I was sort of a moderate to high. That's how I would have said, ah, oh, you know, you take risk, you risk boy. Turns out I'm completely opposite of that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of below the middle line you know, secure, make sure it's right. And, and so I think I am the kind of guy who does want somebody to say, hey, be careful, you know, don't just jump. Have you, co- have you covered your bases? Have you checked that, you know, yeah. risk? Yeah. I am like that. But with that natural tendency, I still think we have to go into things thinking once you've made the decision, you've got to go in there going, this is going to work now. It's almost, for me, it's, you've got to do all the checks and clearly, if you do an operation and you're going to cut somebody open, I'd like to think you've done a lot of checks. But once you've done all that, do it with absolute confidence this is going to work. That's kind of, I guess, it's, it's not about ignoring risk. It's about getting a bit of balance. Yeah, it's, just, it's a sort of state, state of mind. And actually, you can, you can identify the, the negatives and the risks and things, but you can do it in an optimistic way, can't you? Yeah, and exactly not, right. And I don't really want a lot of mood hoovers sitting around telling me why it's not going to work just because it didn't work before, you know, and, and I, I, I need a bit of that, but, you know, the world's filled with that, the media will do that to us enough, tell us why things aren't working, I don't need everybody around me telling me it's not going to work, I want to know how we're going to get it to work. So talk to us about, when we, when we chatted, you talked about uh, the power of a smile, I mean, why is smiling so powerful and how can we get ourselves to do more of it, particularly when we might be maybe in an environment like you mentioned, the, the health service in the UK here, where you know, yeah. People are feeling under pressure. My wife's a GP. She's feeling under pressure at the moment. Um, how do you make sure you do more of it? Well, it's funny that, that the idea of you know, the power of the smile thing, that came, and, it, and I get quite a bit of fun out of this. I'm she's a presenter. I'm just going to tell you about something, actually. Do you mind if I read something to you? And no, please do. I've got a little quote here. What happened was the power of the smile came from this piece of research, right? And what it was was... They've looked in workplaces, and this is actually in the Harvard Business Review Journal, which I know a lot of your colleagues listening in the States will definitely have heard of, and, we, and I subscribe to it over here. Um, and it was published in 2012. And interestingly, the heading on that journal, the front page, was the value of happiness, how employee well-being drives profit. So that was the heading on the front of that journal. And then there was an article in there saying what makes people underperform, and it was called the title of this particular um, article was 
incivility. So it's minimizing incivility. How do we minimize the way we treat, the, the negative way in which we treat our colleagues? So they did the whole thing about you know, how we treat each other, and they said, well, how do we make sure that people perform better at work, engage better at work, turn up more, and produce more? And so they, under the heading of positive psychology, they did a study in a hospital, and it's now gone, gone pretty uh, ex- extensively across the states and in businesses in the UK, and I've been carrying this message, and it's called the 10-5 system. So, listen to this: it says we took 11,000 employees in a hospital, which is a pretty tough environment to work in, nurses, uh, doctors, leaders, and we taught them two things. As a result of what they taught them, there was a 5% increase in patients' likelihood to recommend that organisation for treatment. I take that to businesses. Can you imagine if your clients gave a 5% recommendation that you should use my business? I don't know anybody who wouldn't want a piece of that, right? Yep. And all they did was teach the staff, 11,000 staff, two things. If you walk within 10 feet of another human being, colleague, patient, carer, visitor, you have to smile and make eye contact. So that's what you have to do, within 10 feet. And you might think, well, don't we do that anyway? No, because we've got our heads down, we've got our heads and phones, we're, we're engaged in something else. If you walk within five feet, you smile, give eye contact, and say hello. Three things. And as a result of that, you get about a 5% increase in patients saying, you've got to go there for your treatment. The treatment hasn't necessarily changed, but the way you feel about that environment is different. And I think the power of the smile is, that when somebody smiles, and I do this at events, and I do this everywhere, and here's the thing for all your listeners, the whole of tomorrow, everywhere you go, just smile at people. I don't mean, you know, in a dangerous area, but just smile. Just, you know, see what happens. Very few people find it hard not to smile back. And what we found is that that creates a different environment, and as a result of that, people will feel more um, connected, and as a result of that, uh, whether you're a patient or a customer, you feel happier to be involved in an organization and you tend to produce more. And I think, what, you know, you and I know intuitively that we'd rather see somebody with a little smile than somebody looking miserable. So that, that's a bit of evidence here, but, you know, I, I just think it's a, it's a no-brainer if you're, in, if you're involved in people business. Uh, absolutely. It, I, I was I just, while you were saying that, I was thinking about a... a series of videos that I saw yesterday at a uh, visitor attraction. I won't say who, who it was. Um, however, the, the, there was a senior person in this organization who was on all of these videos. And the one thing, what he had to say was interesting, but his face was deadpan, serious, straight, all the way through. And, and I, you know, that face and that seriousness is one of the things that has stuck with me about that brand um, and, you know, it, yeah, it, it's, you know, his face made that seem a serious brand when actually it isn't a serious. You know, it's, it's a quite a light at times, quite a light-hearted brand. Yeah, it is. Good, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got to get the balance right. Um, a few years ago, there was a Daniel Goleman article written, and it's something about managing moods. That was that kind of thing, and I forget the title of the article, but the gist of it was. You've got to pitch it right. It's no good dancing through the office with a big smile, singing Yankee Doodle Dandy, when you're just about to fire 300 people. Do you know what I mean? Is it? Mm. I think we've got to be sensible. I, I'm not. I'm not daft. I'm very sensitive to, you know, what what goes on in the world and 
and there's a time and a place. But <clears throat> I don't know, Chris. Have you ever been? Have you ever been to a a fairly serious affair? I mean, now I'm talking about maybe even a family funeral, and 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 you've found that not out of disrespect at all, but the laughter, there's some. There's a, there's a reflection where you go, oh, do you remember when they did that? And, and suddenly you find yourself laughing, and t- five minutes before you were absolutely brokenhearted. You know, I don't know if that strikes a chord, but for me, anywhere in the world, there's an opportunity to just, you know, find a place for humor or, or just a, a smile or, I don't know, it's, it's the little tiny things as opposed to just constantly uh, looking at things from a serious perspective. Um, and I guess that's what I take. And I've done this with enough thousands of people, and I've and, and had lots of feedback that said, "Yeah, you know, it's been, it's just stopped me. Maybe think, maybe I could just do the cheering up a bit." Yeah, I, I think yeah, what, I, what I just thought back to what you just said there about the the funeral. Um, sometimes people, you know, don't have young children or take young children to funerals. But I've always found when I've taken my I took my children when they were young to, to funerals, it was like a, a release. It was like the fact they were there smiling. And, uh, and and being young and little uh, was was actually a, a relief for everybody. You know, it uh, lightened lightened the load and the experience. And you're right; often at the end of them, it's very serious in the church. People are sad, but then actually you're able to have a, a good laugh afterwards. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I, I think um, as I say, the reason I set that as an example is because it's kind of surprised me over the years. You know, you think, yeah, clearly there's sad moments and. Uh, and I think that the key thing for this, you know, when people listen to this, uh, I would hear anybody to, to, to get to the end and think, oh, you know, it's not the real world and it's not like that. I'm very, very aware of, of the challenges and traumas. When you work in the business as we do, you, you see some real problems of mass redundancies and, and uncertainty and organizational change and, you know, real, real problems for people and a lot of stress. And I totally get all that and I understand that. And the media makes it their business, certainly in Britain, and I, and I can't speak for every country in the world, but you know what, you know, what, if I was to tell you, Chris, now, what do you reckon if you pick the Daily Mail up or the Sunday Times, whatever paper it is, the general feel of the paper from, from the news and what they focus on, would it be more the positives and what's working in the world or the things that aren't working? It's more, it's more, negative, it's more negative, Steve considerably more so and particularly you know you mentioned a couple of examples there one of those newspapers you know my wife would go completely crazy if we even had one of those anywhere near our home because <laughs> uh, yes, i'm gonna guess i think i know which one i won't say anything but, <laughs> but yeah i mean the thing is right this is where i think uh, I, have, I have i have no issue at all with going out every day bearing in mind you know next week i'll do five events i'll be in front of a lot of people you know for all sorts of different walks of life and I will share a fairly optimistic, with some strategies, I'll put some tangible, I won't just say think happy thoughts, again, I will put some tangibles in, but whenever I get talking to an audience, and, or an individual, and you look at what's in the news, the news will find, the media will find, the, the examples of where it's not working, whatever that thing is, that public service, that teacher, that nurse, whatever, they'll, and they'll extrapolate that, and, and when you do it enough, and it's now on the internet and it's in the papers and it's on the news, the public will start to go, my, my goodness, our NHS is not very good then, or the police aren't very good or teachers aren't very good, and you get that feeling. And actually, I meet thousands of teachers and nurses and police and fire service people every year, and 
99% of them are absolutely fantastic, doing a great job, working really hard. And every, of course, is the odd one. But do we really extrapolate that and, 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 and use that as the, as the benchmark for where we're at? And in all walks of life, there's, there's a reason to, to focus on what works, not have somebody take my view that the world isn't great. You know, we talk about terrorism. And, you know, is everybody a terrorist? No. handful of idiots do daft things. A handful. But we can be scared stiff because of a handful. And the reality is most people are pretty decent. Most people. With, and I guess I, I'm, not, I'm not ignoring the bad stuff. I'm just saying, do we really have to spend every minute talking about it? And the answer for me is definitely not. And as a result of that, at 50 years old, I'm a pretty happy, optimistic bloke. If we if we see, I guess if we see those things, we just have to be mindful that uh, it isn't the real world. It doesn't it isn't a fair reflection. It's just focusing on a in on a minutiae, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. So so it shouldn't we shouldn't let a minutiae affect our state. I agree, hundred percent. And and it is about it is about what you focus on. You know, it's it's just about where do you put your attention. Once you've analysed risk and done all that, where do you put your attention? And, and, I, and there was, you know, for me, huge value in putting your attention on what's about to work and why it should rather than why it won't. Absolutely. Well, I've got quite a lot I want to get through with, with you, Steve, and we've got about 10 minutes left. So let's, let's quickly move on to um, self-talk. I mean, we all have this, this chatter going on in our heads. How can we make it empower us? Uh, well, first of all, I think uh, I, I would say this about self-talk. Um, it's not, it's probably not a motivational speaker or some performance coach somewhere has not mentioned this somewhere to someone, right? You know, your self-talk is important. Pretty much everybody agrees that self-talk is important and we all do it. Um, critical self-talk uh, can affect how you feel. Positive self-talk can affect how you feel. And I think we get into patterns. And many people I meet, especially when things don't go well, start being overly self-critical. Uh, it is, if you speak to a psychiatrist on this, pretty much any psychiatrist, I guess, they will tell you that if you have prolonged critical self-talk, I'm no good, I can't do this, it'll never work, not only will it affect your performance, but it can be a, a contributory factor to depression. And that, So for me, being aware of the way you speak to yourself is the first thing, noticing it, and then doing something about it. And I've got a great tip, if you'd like one. Would you like a yeah, tip? Absolutely. I'll give you a tip. Uh, and the tip is this, right? Ask your best friend, or two or three of your best friends, which could be a family member. Uh, I would probably ask Abby, my wife, or my kids, who have, you know, are innocent, and they'll just tell me the honest truth. And I would say, you ask your best friend, tell me two or three things about me that are the best things about me. My, my, my attitude, my, my strengths, anything that's good about me. And listen. Write it down if you can. And then use their words as your self-talk for the next four weeks. Right? So in other words, you're only saying good things about yourself. But, but it's what your children have told you, your wife's told you, your friends have told you. Because why would they lie to you? You know, you're an enthusiast. I've met you a couple of times, Chris, and we've spoken and, you know, you're a lovely guy, you're enthusiastic, you're passionate, you, you know, you, 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 you're uh, full of energy, you know, those things. And then you'd use those words 
and you say, I'm a, I'm a lovely guy, even if you didn't fully believe it, you use the words. And I guarantee, if you weren't in a good place at the end of four weeks, you'd feel fantastic. Because yeah. it's not a lie, it's truth. As opposed to, I'm no good, I've messed up. So self-talk, it can affect you, it can make you depressed if it's critical, and it also turns you around. By the way, I should tell you that when I worked with the rugby league guys, it was one of the strategies that we talked about that they cannot be talking about getting beat. They can only talk about how they're going to win. They can only talk about winning language. Uh, the thing it's quite a big part of performance. And the thing is, all that's, that's kind of a habit. I don't, I don't know what you, you find, but actually the more you do that, uh, and, I, and I had to work on myself for kind of a few years, I, I don't really very often have those doubts and that self-talk coming in and affecting anything anymore, whereas it used to, used to have an enormous effect. <laughs> Um, yeah. I think I think you can learn, can't you, to to you know eradicate it more. Yeah, because I guess it become a habit. Yes, and it's almost endearing. I don't know whether this is everywhere. To be fair, but in Britain, externally, it's quite endearing. Maybe you just saw. I'm talking about you know two people having a chat, going, "Oh, I messed up there," and I know I'm hopeless at that. You know, no, <laughs> not a useful way to start. It's you know, that's just. I'm not saying. I'm not saying we should go around telling people how great we are. I think that's... I know where I come from in the North East. You'd probably get beaten up if you did that. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not about telling people how good you are. I'm talking about just in my own head, being able to say, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm doing a good job here. This is, you know, this is pretty good. So I think, I, I think it's just such an important thing. And, and it's easy to ignore it because does it really matter? And the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. I mentioned before in this... In this discussion, you know, my mother had depression for pretty much all my life that I can remember. I mean, serious, long-term depression. And one clearly obvious thing to me, and I think this is why I'm, why I'm into this happiness stuff, to be honest, clear thing to me was she, was she would never have been able to say something good about herself. Never be able to go. You know, and she raised three boys. My brother died years ago, and but he had a great life for the time he was on the planet. My other brother's a director in a big corporate, our own business, we've got kids who didn't look like, look like decent kids, and every reason to be proud of what she did as a mum, but could not give herself credit for anything. And I think that, that to me, is why I'm so passionate about getting the voice right inside your head. Yeah, it makes so much difference, doesn't it? I, I want to just um, talk about that. Uh, we've, only, we've only got a few minutes, about five minutes left until I need to kind of summarise today. And, and uh, Stephen, I... I know taking care of you and, and your mental health therefore, and safety is therefore you know, really important to you. And, uh, and, and I guess that comes from your mum. I mean, you know, what is your take on it and how can maybe companies help their employees to take care of it? Well, look, as we've only got a couple minutes left, Chris, can I, can I just do it? This will take me about a minute. I'm going to share with you. I, I finish a lot of my events now and you're going to trust me on this that Everywhere I go, whatever the industry, the word that really um, resonates with people is when I talk about building personal resilience. Right? So we've got this conversation about happiness, and I think this is connected. I think it's all part of the same thing. I'm going to share with you what I, what I would finish an event with, just to give you an idea of just a bullet point, 10 things. We've talked about a lot of them already. And this is about taking care of you, because nothing happens if you don't turn up. If, if, you're, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you, if you can't cope... And this is about, this is about, and this is partly to do with my thing. It says, there's 10 things I've picked up. There's a book I read called uh, The Curse of the Strong 
by a psychiatrist, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's about high-performing high people keeping going under pressure. Ten things. I'll give you this, right? The first one is okayness, which is you being able to look in a mirror every day and go, I'm okay, which is really confidence, the belief that you can be the best that you can be that day. And that's, that's the first one. The second one is we've got to learn to fail well. In other words, when we fail, accept it because it's part of getting better. Any entrepreneur will tell you failure is significant part of their lives before the big deal works out. We've got to act as if. This is profound. If you act as if you're okay, you will become okay. Psychiatrists will tell you that the last two, three, four decades research says you always become the way you act. If you want to have a good day, act like it's going to be a good day. Let go of things that don't work, especially beliefs from the past. Remember, perfect doesn't exist. This is great for my daughter. You, you've got children. You know what it's like. The last thing in the world you want is for people to think they've got to achieve perfect. Yes. It doesn't turn up. And you stretch forever for that. Self-talk has got to be in there because if you're critical, it will bring you down. Focus on what works rather than what doesn't, or at least as much. Get the balance right. Celebrate the small stuff. Don't wait a year to tell yourself you've had a good, yeah, you know, if there's something good tonight, anybody listening to this, whenever they listen to it, celebrate something tonight. Get yourself a bottle of carver or whatever and have a drink and raise a glass. And uh, as far as possible, this is a bit tongue-in-cheek, avoid miserable people. And, and that sounds a bit weird, but you know what I mean. You don't yep. spend your life surrounded by people who will tell you that you can't. I want to be surrounded by encouragers who will tell me that I can. And I think those things are good for your health, your well-being, taking care of you. And if you do these things, which I make, make a real effort to do, then generally speaking, days are good, weeks are good, business is good, and the family's good. Uh, I think absolutely. I think there's some real, real power in what you've said there. And and I kind of go back to my, I guess, my introduction. It was a, is a coincidence, but I just, you know, I drew upon the fact I feel so privileged with the very positive and inspirational people like yourself that I get to talk to in my life. And I kind of re-engineered my life to to make sure at one time um, I was spending more time with people like that because I felt I wasn't spending as, as much time as I could. And now my life is surrounded by them. I, I feel very happy and very privileged and and it keeps me up and it gives me it gives me people like you to see where you are and where you are mentally. And, and I find that takes me up. It doesn't bring me down. Mm. And it's just not easy. I don't, you know, I'll hit anything, you know, I'll go around chasing every day. It's tough. Some days are tough. Yes. And, and you've got to act as if sometimes, you know, you've got to get up and put a front on and go, right, you know, I'm going to give it the best I've got today. But you always become the way you act. So stick in and, you know, generally speaking, the days are better than they otherwise would be. You know, that, that's, that's all I can say. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the stuff we've talked about, just anybody listening, just gets one little nugget they can use and it's uh, unlikely to cause them a problem. It can only help, really. That's it. Steve, I'd like to say a huge thank you for joining us today and uh, and uh, you know some great content in there and really appreciate your time hope you've enjoyed it's it absolute pleasure and i'm i'm chuffed that you eventually pinned me down after two years <laughs> it was worth the wait steve thanks mate I'm, fantastic so, <laughs> i'm sorry the technology wasn't quite up to up to usual <laughs> but it happens sometimes it's life and it's like you've got to you know you've got to just you've got to manage it haven't you Exactly right, exactly right. And at the end of the day, I, you know, the content's still the same. It might sound a little bit different, but the content's still the same. Absolutely. So for, 
So for more information on Steve Head, go to www.stevehead.co.uk. If you've got any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear it. Please send it to Chris at bemoreachievemore.com. And on next week's show, we've got a gentleman called Craig Goldhurst. And Craig is an absolute ball of energy. And uh, he's somebody who is also happens to speak a lot and train and, and coach people. But he's also um, following his purpose in life, has set up uh, a charity in Western Africa. He's founded his own school in Africa and, um, you know, really combines that kind of entrepreneurial spirit with um, a real desire to add value to people and others. Um, so, Steve, um, wonderful to track you down after two years, and uh, thank you for uh, joining us today, and we shall be back again with you in just another week. Yeah, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.